I was having a chat to a fellow security professional who was doing some work for an organization where they were boasting about service being up for over a thousand days. That's not something to be proud of. Like, <laughs> I don't. That's what I don't get. Like the whole idea of being proud of your uptime, dude. That just means you haven't done any updates on that thing for three years. What the hell? This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about patching. In the morning hours of May 12th, 2017, somewhere reportedly in Asia, disaster struck. A type of ransomware whose name would soon be known across the globe had found its first victim. And less than 24 hours later, that infection would spread to more than 230,000 computers in more than 150 countries. In England, hospitals operated by the National Health Service were thrown into crisis, having to cancel thousands of appointments and operations. In Spain, three major companies that controlled telecommunications, natural gas, and electrical were ground to a halt. The major shipping company, FedEx, and the German railway company Deutsche Bahn AG also suffered setbacks. Days later, when workers in multiple countries in Asia returned to their offices after the weekend, more locked-up systems were found. Japanese electronics company Hitachi, a theater chain in South Korea, and the government in China all announced that they'd been hit with the same ransomware. This was the WannaCry attack. It was, at the time, the largest and most significant ransomware attack in history, and it spread not through traditional means. So no, this wasn't a bizarre case of hundreds of thousands of people clicking the same deceptive email, but through an exploit in the Windows operating system. That exploit preyed on a vulnerability within the Windows Server Message Block, or SMB. The Windows SMB allows Windows machines to talk to one another, but with this exploit, Windows machines could be told to remotely execute malicious code. Now, who would do such a thing, right? Who, who would make this exploit, and who would release it? That's a fun story because the exploit, which is now referred to as Eternal Blue, was allegedly developed by the U.S. government. You see, years ago, America's top security agency, the NSA, was facing a crisis. And no, we're actually not talking about that surveillance crisis of 2013. Instead, we're talking about an information breach crisis. In 2016, a group of anonymous hackers called the Shadow Brokers began publishing what they said were stolen, classified files from the NSA. One month before the WannaCry attack, the Shadow Brokers released the eternal blue exploit to the public. So that all makes sense, right? The government reportedly develops an exploit, hackers steal it, they give it to the public, and one month later, it's used in the most devastating ransomware attack seen thus far, right? Wait until you hear this. Microsoft knew about the Eternal Blue vulnerability before the attack. In fact, they knew about it long enough to release a patch for the vulnerability back in March of 2017, which was an entire month before the Shadow Brokers released the exploit for the vulnerability, and two months before WannaCry hit the world. Which means that for two months, we 
collectively had the means to protect ourselves against the most devastating ransomware attack that would come later on. And we just didn't act on it. At least not nearly as much as we should have. And now, yes, okay, hindsight is twenty twenty, And of course, we didn't know that WannaCry would hit when it did or how it did, but we still missed something here. We had the patch. We just didn't patch. Sadly, this story is one of countless similar other ones where patches are available for known vulnerabilities and we continue to fail to implement them. Why is that? Today, to help us understand why we don't patch as regularly and responsibly as we should and what makes patching so damn difficult. We're speaking again with Jess Dodson, Recovering Windows Systems Administrator and current security professional. Jess, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you back here. And after that long intro about WannaCry, again, one of, I think, the most significant ransomware attack in history. The only other one I could think of is Kaseya, which happened in 2021, I was going to say this year, but no, 2021. <laughs> You're like, yes, no, we have changed. We are now in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. The WannaCry attack is something that I hear about constantly. Hey, there was a patch available for this vulnerability. We knew it was a vulnerability. We knew there was a patch. We didn't move at the speed that we should have. And so the big, broad question here globally, right? Why don't we patch? I've got a couple of different answers for this one. So it really does. Only imagine. <laughs> yeah. So it really does. Like it really does depend. But the big one I think for this one is lack of resources. So we don't tend to focus on the proactive. We tend, we're very busy fighting fires because fires are exciting and there's usually someone yelling at us. Whereas <laughs> updates are that proactive thing where we need to spend time doing boring stuff. And let's be honest, like updating systems is really boring. <laughs> and as part of that, when it comes to those lack of resources, we don't spend time doing that proactive work, which can be things like setting up automation to do the patching for us. Hmm. Now, tied to that, though, is the fact that the reason we don't have the resources is because we don't have bums on seats. I call it bums on seats because <laughs> that's what it is. We don't have enough people to do the things because we are chronically, you know, understaffed in all aspects of security and operations. It's just the way it is. We can't find enough people to do all the stuff we want to do. And that ties into time. We don't get enough time to do everything that we want to be able to do. And unfortunately, doing updates is one of those things that just sort of goes by the wayside. Eh, it's working. It'll be fine. For me, probably the other big one that I see quite a lot is fear. People don't want to update because they're afraid something will go wrong. And I don't quite understand where that comes from, particularly these days. Like back, back in the old days, like I get that there was updates that could cause issues and that there were compatibility problems and you could like fry a system. I've been there. I've done that. It wasn't fun. But now, like I can count on one hand and not use all my fingers the number of times that I have done a Windows update on a server and it has gone wrong. And then, of course, we have the political concerns regarding uptime. You've got pressures from the business going, no, 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 you can't update that because it's going to require a restart. And that means we're going to lose uptime. We're not going to have availability. No, you can't do that. I think that's probably the more annoying one um, to deal with because that's it's a business issue. And it's, 
Yeah, to me, that that is the part that makes a lot of security people like grind their teeth going, just I just want to do this thing and my organization won't let me. Yeah, let's dig into that one because like you said, the bums and seats one, I'm like, okay, I get that. Like I can understand that. But the push or the pull, whatever you want to call it, the tension from within the business that you're working in, that seems, like you said, frustrating. And so how long can something like this take? Like how long does it take to warrant, you know, a segment of the business saying, I can't handle the downtime. Like, what are we talking about? And that's, and to be honest, it, it does depend on the organization. It depends on the industry. In some organizations that I've, I've seen, like you can have uptime for hundreds of days, hundreds. I was having a chat to a fellow security professional who was doing some work for an organization where they were boasting about servers being up for over a thousand days. That's not something to be proud of. (laughs) I don't, that's what I don't get. Like the whole idea of being proud of your uptime, dude, that just means you haven't done any updates on that thing three years. What the hell? So I think a lot of the mentality of moving away from the whole uptime thing, and let's, I I feel really bad because there is a little bit of that, you know, like the the Windows versus Linux kind of. I feel a little bad there because there is that, no, Linux, it's okay. We can, we can update on the fly. We don't, we don't have to worry about uptime. It's all good. Whereas with Windows, like you do need to restart your machines in order to get some of those kernel level patches, but it's the same for Linux. Like you do still need to restart those machines. Like I get very frustrated when I hear people talking about that and talking about the fact that getting updates pushed out onto their machines is hard. They want to do it, but their business says no. And from a business perspective, when it comes to that high availability, I think a lot of that comes down to, again, fear. They don't know what will happen if they restart those machines. But I also think it comes down to they haven't put enough resourcing into high availability of their systems. You shouldn't have a fear of taking down one machine in your organization. Like you should have the ability to have that high availability, that redundancy built into your systems. And if you don't go and do it. Some of the things you were mentioning uh, recently, right? That, that there were kernel level patches and also that you could count on one hand, you know, the, the number of times that an update on a, on a windows server didn't go right in recent history already. I think that's, that's introducing types of patches, types of updates that go beyond Definitely most consumers, definitely me, right? I've never run those types of things. So the more basic question here is when we're talking about patching, what is it? Like, what does it encompass? And again, so it's varied because it does depend. Like for, as you said, for an end consumer, patching or updating, they get like a Windows update prompt on their PC or they get their phone turns around and goes, there is an update for your phone. And they go hit the update button and away it goes. So that Mm -hmm. is patching. That is updating. That is exactly the same thing. But the same goes for all of the systems that support everything that you're doing. So the server that runs your email or the server that you log into and that that verifies your password or the database that hosted up, like all of those, if they are running on a server, they will also have updates. Like there are things that require updating. The same goes for applications. Like I'm sure we've all seen when you access or you you jump onto the web or whatever, you will see that 
Chrome or Firefox or Edge, all of those will come up and say, there is an update available. It's exactly the same thing. From an end user perspective, I mean, sometimes it can be a little bit annoying. And I know that I am hypocritical and guilty of going, not now, later. I'm in the middle of doing something. (laughs) And we're all guilty of that. And that's okay for a day, depending Mm -hmm. on what it is. (laughs) Let's be honest, depending on what it is. But when it comes to organizations, like we're talking like hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of systems, and in many cases, tens to hundreds of thousands of applications, they have to keep updated and make sure that they are running the most recent and most secure version. So that to me is the big difference. For a user, it is a single or a couple of devices. For an organization or an enterprise, think about that on scale and trying to manage that on scale. And that's where the difference comes from. And I think that is why when we're talking about why we don't patch those resources and having the resource and time available to do that is why it's so important. I'm absolutely going to get to that because like you said here, you know, imagine tens of thousands of systems that have to get updated and they have to be updated promptly, right? It's not the kind of thing where you can say, hey, you know, I'm busy right now. But something that you just ended on, right? I thought I thought it was really important is that you said, you know, that's that's why patching is so important. In our last episode, when we spoke, we spoke about, you know, the cybersecurity basics and and patching was one of those basics. If you had to like rank the basics, if you had to rank the things that you have to do to get cybersecurity right, wh- where does patching fall? Are we talking priority priority? Are we talking like middle of the pack? Where, where is it? Okay. So in terms of where it ranks, I wouldn't give numbers because that one's really, really hard. (laughs) But when we're looking at like thinking from a security perspective, critical, high, medium, low, informational, I would put it as critical because a lot of the time when we're looking at the updates that we're receiving, they are coming from the companies who are responsible for these pieces of software. If they are putting out an update or a patch, there is a reason. And if it is a security update, like there is a reason they are putting that out there. So I would consider it critical to have a good patching and update schedule and have good update hygiene. Yeah. On returning to the infrastructure necessary to responsibly and promptly patch systems, help me understand what a patching organization looks like within a business, right? Because like you said, there's just so many applications that have to get updated. And I think people can understand just on a like a intuitive level, sometimes, right, their phone is like, well, you're gonna, not only are you gonna have a, a security update, but there's like 12 to like 20 of your apps that also all decided they needed to update. And that's like a micro scale. And even when that happens to me, I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> What, how many people are required? How do you even begin to create an organization that can make sense of all the software being used, all the databases, all the networks? Like, where do you start? What does it look like? Okay. So I would say it isn't its own internal organization. So updating and patching should be something that is intrinsic in every operations person. If you're a system administrator, network administrator, you look after like standard operating environments, desktop administrators, patching and updating is part of what you do. If it's not, it should be. And when it comes to working out 
who is responsible and how many people you need. It really does depend on, say, the size of your organization, the number of devices you have, the number of applications you have. But the responsibility does lie in the teams that are responsible for those particular areas. So in most of the organizations that I tend to see, they tend to have a desktop administration area, so SOE, Standard Operating Environment area, and they are responsible for the operating system and the applications that run on a user's standard machine. So they look after all of that. And a lot of the time that comes down to ensuring you have the right automation in place to look after those systems so that you can automatically deploy an update and that will go out to all 50, 400, 7,000 users in your environment. When it comes to servers and server updates and management and application management there, that tends to sit with the server administration team for whatever service that particular server is running. So whether it be on-prem or in the cloud, it doesn't really matter. So thinking email servers, database servers, whatever kind of application or function that server is doing, the team that is responsible for that particular application is responsible for updating the underlying operating system as well as the application that sits on top of it. The big thing there though, and I know that we touched on that in the last time I was here, is knowing what you have. How can you update it if you don't know it's there? For some of these patches, you were talking about automation and I want to get to that as well, but what are non-automated patches? Like, what does that look like? And also, is there a type of patch that just requires like very high levels of technical skill? Help me understand how some of these patches even work. Okay. So non-automated is just painful and time-consuming. Please have an automated patching system of some kind, something that pushes that. Like, we have been doing this, at least I know that I have been doing this for at least 15 years. Like, this is not new. We should be able to have automation that pushes out these updates, be it for your operating system, be it for your applications, it doesn't matter. When it comes to skill level, I think that really does depend on the kind of update or patch you are applying and the kind of system that it's being applied to. For your base level operating systems that are running on desktops or the applications that are running, not really. When you start getting to scale, absolutely, because that's when compatibility becomes an issue. At the same time, that's going to lead me down another garden path where I start talking about the issues that I have around making sure that we've got updates being done in a timely manner so that you don't end up with legacy because legacy IT is the bane of our existence because it just lurks there in the background as this security behemoth that's going to come and bite you. When you say that, sorry, really quickly, like you just mean outdated software applications, right? Is that is that what we mean by legacy? Like things that are no longer supported or what is it? Oh, oh, most definitely. So an example of this one, I can, I can give you a really good story. And I, this one, yeah. oh, it, it makes me cringe. And this is my own personal thing. So If we can keep our life cycles up to date, like that would make me super, super happy. I have been harping on about updating things for a very long time, particularly our operating systems, making sure you're on the most recent version. So coming from Windows land and Microsoft land, getting off of something like Windows Server 2003, which went EOL in 2015, like this is not hard, but I was still in that organization and we still had Windows Server 2000 boxes running custom Java applications and the dev who built it all 
left like 10 years after I first got there. So like leaving those kind of systems there in the whole kind of it's not broken, don't fix it kind of mentality, like you're just asking for trouble because once it goes obsolete, there's no more updates for it. You're not getting security patches for it or worse, if you are getting security patches for it, it's costing you an arm and a leg because the software company doesn't support it and you're going to have to be paying lots of money to be able to get those updates. Like that's ridiculous. That to me is why would you keep something around that's costing you millions and millions of dollars just to keep running because you're too lazy to get off of that system? Stop it. Stop doing it. <laughs> when you said it was going to, it it led to a lot of trouble and it will lead to a lot of trouble. What does that trouble like look like? And I assume that, you know, part of it is paying millions upon millions of dollars for security updates. What else is it? Like when when something gets removed because it has to be, with the story you were just telling, what is the fallout? Like what did you have to build? Like line, so you've got line of business applications that are custom built, bespoke. I, I hate bespoke <laughs> applications because as we have seen with Log4J, like, Bespoke applications are going to be the bane of everyone's existence for like the next 12 months, let's be honest. So it means that you have to then go out to market to find an application that does what you either have or had, or you have to then build that in-house on newer versions of or, or newer types of systems so that way it can actually be supported. The other thing is with a lot of those older outdated systems, like when they go bump in the night, they don't come back. <laughs> that to me is the big one. When people brag about uptime and they're like, yeah, this machine's been up for three years. I'm like, well, if it restarts, can you be guaranteed that it's going to come back again? <laughs> and, and that's the big thing for me with these systems that are so old and outdated, you don't know what's going to come back. And I think that's worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm immediately reminded of a time, this was years ago, like my first car that I ever had. The battery died. I got a jump and I was like, well, I was going to hang with friends, but I was like, well, my battery's dead. I can't trust that it's going to be alive like at 2 a.m. when we leave. And so I was like, I'm just going to drive home. And I was driving home and I turned my window down. I don't know. It's, you know, I didn't have a roller. I had an automatic window, right? So I used a trigger. And in doing that, my car battery died while I was driving. And then it came back like a little bit. But there was that moment where I learned like, well, I can't like turn on the radio. I can't roll up my window. I can't use my windshield wipers. I can't do anything that requires electricity because if it goes out again, I die, right? <laughs> like it's it's not coming back. And thankfully, right, super short trip, all on the street. It was fine. It was okay. But my car, like, I brought my car back, and by the time I parked it, it died. It was over. There, it was done. And that's that was, you know, that was a car. I can't imagine. Like, imagine if this. Imagine everyone, please imagine if an ancient. Honda Accord like powered your business, you'd be like, no, I'm not proud of this. <laughs> this is this is a bad move. <laughs> and that to me is exactly it. Like, I don't understand why we are. We've got this system. It's been running for 25 years. Why? <laughs> why? No. And I think getting off of, and I do understand that there is a lot of effort, particularly in some of those big behemoth organizations where their line of business application has been 
built and and customized so much over so many years and the support team that's around it and all of that and I do get that like it is very problematic to try and replace that but at the same time to me the risk of something happening to that where you can't get it back is worse than the pain that you will go through trying to replace it and I think particularly from an operations perspective, both from sysadmin and SecOps, we don't do a very good job of selling that to the business of, look, this is the ROI. If it falls over, it's going to get bad. But if we can replace it, yeah, it's going to be bad, but at least we know it's not going to fall over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. On that, it seems like there's many obstacles, like you said, to to getting patches done. One of them is, is the, like the, the business argument, right? You you have to go up against like, oh, can we handle downtime? But I wanted to go more into the logistical things, which is the resources, the bums on seats. Is that as simple as, you know, money to hire folks? Is it people not understanding that this takes people? You know, this isn't just something to lump onto a an already overworked team. Like where, what are the obstacles here? Okay. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. So when it comes to the people, I definitely do think that getting more money for resourcing is an issue. And that's across the board when it comes to security and operations. I don't think businesses realize just how much effort and time it takes to proactively and successfully manage an organization's IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I often think that when it comes to IT, it is purely seen as a cost center. It is purely seen as a cost sink and nothing comes out of it. And I I don't think a lot of organizations realize, or maybe they do now, now that COVID's been around for a while, we've got a lot more people working from home. I think people are now starting to realize just how much they rely on the technology they use day to day. So maybe we will start to see an uptick in resourcing being given to those IT departments that have been desperately clamoring for it for years. I think there is still an issue around a bit of the fear. So I think even a lot of IT Operation security staff have that fear of, oh, I don't want to update it. I haven't tested it. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, what if it breaks something? Mm-hmm. I think we do need to start getting better at making sure that we are doing some of those patches. I call them automagic patches, where it's you have a pilot group, it gets pushed out straight away as soon as it comes in. If everything works, that's great. Push it out to everything. So that way we've got that built in. So that way it's it's tested. We know it works. We'd catch it if something went wrong. Now just push it out. I think there needs to be a little less panic around zero days. Like, oh my God, security Twitter just loses their mind when a zero day comes out. And I'm like, (laughs) if you've got automated patching, this shouldn't be a problem. Like apply the patch, happy days. Like (laughs) calm down. And I think if people saw it as more of a security issue rather than just an operational business as usual thing, then we would see a bit more traction as well. Something that I remember from our last conversation is that you said you had worked with a company where their patching schedule, I think, was once a year. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just make just just making sure I remember that correctly. That that wasn't like a a fever dream that I had. You know? No, 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 no. no. Oh yeah. Once a year. Like honestly, when you when you think about that, like 
from my perspective, once a year is scarier than doing it every month because in in uh, once a year, like how many updates and patches are you applying in a yearly patching cycle and what are the chances of there being compatibility issues between those updates and how many times are you going to have to reboot that damn thing? Like I, I find those kind of schedules really, really scary. For me, what I would like to see is a regular schedule that is at least once a month. I find again, coming from Microsoft land, when we release updates, like, it, you know, it's Patch Tuesday. Patch Tuesday's coming. For me, it's Patch Wednesday because <laughs> I'm on the other side of the planet. But <laughs> right. Patch Tuesday's coming. Like, you know Patch Tuesday's coming. You know to prepare for it. You know you're going to receive a whole bunch of updates. You know that you're going to need to push them out to your pilot group and then you can look at automating them. When it comes to the cloud, like, automate that stuff like have it just apply like this is not hard we've got really good rollbacks as well when it comes to your applications like when you see applications coming up just apply them and having that regular mindset of just doing these updates I think will make a difference but the big one I think it comes down to as well as education so making sure that our users and our businesses are understanding why we are doing this and that it's not just a yeah, we need you to restart your machine like once a month or once a week or whatever it is. We're doing this to keep your system secure, to give them, that's the other thing, give them better features. Like I think we miss that as well in a lot of these conversations. A lot of these updates include cool new features. Why don't you want cool new shiny things? Let's say a company is behind, right? And they're also on the once a year the once a year patching schedule, which is uh, dismal to hear, right? Let's say you drop, <laughs> let's say you drop in, and that company says, "Hey, we need your help." How long of a process is it to one actually install all the patches that are necessary, make sure, like you said, they're compatible, and then two, also install like a schedule, like a policy, like how? Because I keep hearing these things like, "Oh, if we." if we run a patch, there's going to be downtime. And like, it's, it's so like, it's dangerous. Like, what do we do? But like, there's also downtime if you don't do it, you know? <laughs> like, And that's exactly it. That's what it comes to. Like I consider updates and patch. It's an insurance policy. Like businesses pay for insurance. This is insurance. Like just, just do it. And it's much better than the alternative. Let's be honest. When it comes to trying to fix up something like that, having been in that position, it can take a very long time. So it can take up to 18 months to get everything up to date, to make sure that you have everything at the same level, to put in a schedule. And bearing in mind, it does depend on the size of the organization. So we are talking here about an organization that had roughly about a thousand Windows systems. So these are servers, not desktops. That's completely separate. Just talking servers here, it was around 1,000. And, yeah, it was about 18 months to look at trying to get that to a position where we were comfortable that the update schedule was secure, that everything was being successfully updated, that we were receiving notification back from them, that we were getting the logs to say, yes, no, this is successfully applied, that we were catching any issues as part of our pilot and test groups. So it is a long process. But as you said, the flip side is you don't do that. And when things go wrong, not only is it going to take time, but you're going to have money. And quite possibly if it's 
caused a breach, you're going to have reputational and brand loss as well. Those 18 months, right? Where do you start with something? Is it is it as simple as identifying the most critical or the most priority, you know, prioritized updates that need to roll out? Is it also doing like a like a census of sorts of like, okay, these are things that need to get tossed because they're so old. I'm so interested in the actual like specifics, the logistics of of where you take on a project like that. It's a big, it is a big project. And a lot of people <laughs> look at that and go, oh my God, I don't want to take that on. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so you, you spelled it out perfectly to start with. It's an inventory. You need to start off working out what you have, exactly what you have. And from there, you kind of narrow it down. And a lot of it comes down to a DR and BCP plan, to be perfectly honest, because you will, when you're looking at how you're going to apply these patches and these updates, you're going to be looking at what is the critical infrastructure that we need to have running so that this business doesn't fall over. What is what is the minimal infrastructure that needs to be up? And they're the ones you focus on first. At least from my perspective, a lot of the time that comes down to your, your domain controllers. I'll give a very big shout out. If your domain controllers have been up for more than 45 days, you are doing it wrong. They need to be receiving their updates every month because the critical and security updates that they receive are vital. So that's where I would look at starting in any kind of Windows Active Directory environment and then working your way out from there starting with those critical updates. The critical and and security updates that are pushed out, they are marked as such. So starting with those ones. By all means, testing in your test environments to make sure that things aren't going to go bump. Again, provided you have a test environment that is, you know, sort of similar to your production environment. I'm yet to see that done well. But making sure that you are rolling it out. So you start with that inventory, working out which systems are most important to the business from a from a disaster recovery BCP perspective, starting with those, rolling out those critical security updates that you know are going to fix vulnerabilities and, and potential ways in for threat actors in your environment. Again, we're assuming breach. There is someone in your environment that's just the way it goes. So trying to narrow it down so they can't get into your systems and then working your way out from there. Definitely getting rid of a lot of the obsolete stuff. So as part of that inventory, working out which systems you do need to look at life cycling and life cycle comes into this life cycle management. So working out which systems are on older operating systems or are on older hardware and need to be completely deprecated and decommissioned, looking at what systems you can look at moving up into the cloud. Now, caveat on that one when you're looking at moving stuff up into the cloud don't do lift and shift please don't do lift and shift what is I what see- is lift and shift yeah <laughs> lift and shift is going i have this server and it's pretty and it's running windows server 2008 and i don't want to touch it so i'm just going to pick it up and i'm going to move the whole vmdk <laughs> file and put it up in the cloud it's going to run there and it's pretty no don't do that <laughs> so looking at what's running on those servers and seeing if we, you can migrate those applications to be saas so software as a service or platform as a service moving them up in a way that is actually manageable so when you're looking at things like SAS and PaaS, you're removing a whole bunch of management you don't have to worry about. Like you don't have to worry about operating system patching then. It's just the application, which is great. Like if you can do that, do it. But again, that takes time. So it's that it comes down to that inventorying to make sure that you know what you've got and you understand where it sits and from a life cycle perspective, where it should be fitting in your structure of 
these are the things that we're going to be looking at moving to the cloud. These are things that are going to be running on infrastructure as a service, so running as a server up in the cloud. Azure, AWS, GCP, wherever you want to put it. Mm-hmm. The same goes for your SaaS applications, looking at your application servers and saying, this doesn't need to be running on a server. I can put this application wholly up in the cloud. I can containerize it, put it in containers. I don't care. Just don't do lift and shift, please, because that's just awful. Because you're just, all you're doing is moving the problem somewhere else. Like you're not getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've talked a bit about the specifics and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed every second of it by the way. <laughs> I'm like I'm like oh this is what this uh, you know because my understanding as a consumer really is like okay once uh, you know once in a while you know my iPhone will tell me well you got to update and I'm like okay yeah for sure like security updates I run super quickly browser updates I'm like eh you know and that's my understanding of it like I do it but I'm not great and I don't I don't push things out I don't work in an organizational role to do those things but I wanted to move the conversation a bit and let's talk about a potential like utopia, right? And the utopia is what if everyone just patched? Like what like what if everyone just did it on schedule, responsibly, you know, automation when needed, uh, rolling it out to a test group. What does that lead to? I'm literally like, I'm seeing like the little golden halo. <laughs> That's literally what I'm like. This is amazing. No. So, <laughs> That's literally what I see it. Like it, it would be amazing and it would be lovely. It is definitely like a, a utopia, like green fields kind of situation. So for me, there would be a lot less panic around security vulnerabilities being announced because you would already have an automated patching schedule. You would see the business going, I saw this and, and this was on the news just recently and they would come down to their CISO or their CIO and the CIO or the CTO would go, it's okay, we have a patching schedule. That patch has already been rolled out. You don't have to stress. It's all good. So there would be less panic. There would be less stress put on the administrators of those systems as well to immediately rush stuff out because there would be systems in place to do that. And to me, that would be the big one. Like it wouldn't just be uh, people running around like headless chickens. It would be, we've got this under control. We know what we're doing. We have got this down to a fine art form because we've done this so many times. This is just how we operate. So there would be far less panic around it. I would also think that there would be far less issues with incompatibility. And I know I find it really funny because it is a catch-22. People are worried about updating because they're worried about incompatibility. But at the same time, if you don't update, you have to worry about incompatibility. But I think that there would be less issues with incompatibility from both an operating system perspective and an application perspective, because if things are regularly updated, if we're keeping our life cycles up to date, we don't have those oh, crap, I have this system that's been running for 20 years and it's never been touched. It's running this application that everyone depends on and it's just fallen over and, oh, no, what do we do? Because to be perfectly honest with you, we we shouldn't have those systems anymore. And getting rid of those, and I think trying to get rid of those is really, really important. Um, And it puts less, you will end up with happier admins. There we go. That that's the line that we need to be (laughs) be going with happier administrators. That's, that's what I would like to see because they're not having to do everything manually. Everything is automated. Everything is scheduled. You've tested it. Like 
you've been through this a number of times. And having been in a situation where we have, I'm not going to say it was the utopia because mm-hmm. it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't. We still had server 2003 and server 2000 boxes hanging around for far too long, but it was close and we had a patching schedule and things were regularly updated and we would get reports to say these are the machines that updated and these are the machines that haven't updated these are the machines that rebooted and these are the machines that you need to go and take a look at because we think something's wrong like those kind of things once it becomes like just part of how you operate the stress level of having to do it is so much less so I would think doing that it's just taking one less thing off the plate of the people who are looking after your infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, I like, look, happier admins, like I think happier people, like in general, that's I'm like, yeah, you should do it. Like that's, it makes so much sense. And particularly happier folks who are tasked with this and who help your business run and who help your, your business stay protected from threats and vulnerabilities i'm like yeah why why not why wouldn't we that all makes sense that all works i wanted to wrap up here on a separate question and ask like look knowing that we have a lot of obstacles to patching things like fear that you said things like resources things like overcoming like a like business hesitancy all extremely valid all legitimate all which have their own reasons which have their own causes which have their own reasons <laughs> um all of that being said how do we fix the situation we're in right and maybe right i think there's probably two ways to look at it maybe fixing is like there's stuff that like we can do like when i say we i mean like administrators i mean you know operations folks but i wonder if there's also things that can be done from the people who develop patches. Like, I I don't know, honestly. And so I I ask again, what can we do to fix the situation we're in? I would love to see more updates that don't require reboots (laughs) because I think that's probably (laughs) the biggest one. When you have an update that's like, you can apply this and you won't have to reboot your machine. You're like, yeah, sure, apply. That's fine. I don't care. When it's, I have to reboot my machine. Like if, if, I know that most of your listeners are going to be exactly the same as me. You're like, no, I've got like 17 browsers and each of them's got like 30 windows. I've got all these documents that I've got open. That's my to do. No, I don't want to restart right now. No, leave it alone. And I think that's that to me would make life a bit easier. At the same time, like I know that when there are particularly security updates being applied, like we are talking like under the hood operating system kernel level stuff that needs to be applied. So is going to need to be rebooted because those files are in use. That's just the way it goes. At the same time, I think when it comes to what can administrators do, education. So I think we need to do a better job of educating both our business and our users as to what the updates are, what they offer, and why the business needs to do it, but done in a in a way that the business and our users will understand. So selling the benefits and the perks of why you're getting those updates, you're getting new features, or when it comes to the security stuff, giving it to them in a way that they can see the benefit and why it's going to be good for them. Of course, it's always got to be about them. It's always the users. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and also from an administrative perspective, redundancy. So looking at putting in high availability, looking at putting in ways so that when a system goes down, like it's not taking down whatever 
is sitting on top of it. Like you have that high availability, you have that redundancy to be able to support a machine being rebooted for updates. And to me, like that should go without saying, like if we are not building HA into our infrastructure, then we're doing a really bad job of it. <laughs> and I've seen, I have seen it. Like you go into some organizations and they're like, no, 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 we can't restart that machine because if we restart that machine, then this system and this system, this system stop working. And you're like, so then why don't you fix it so that isn't the case? <laughs> they're like, oh, that would be too hard. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't updated that machine for 600 days. Like, please, for the love of God, just do something. So that way you don't end up in that position. And then, of course, when it comes to organizations and what they can do, it does come down to pretty much time and money. Give your administrators time to be able to put the systems in place, to do the automation, to build that high availability and redundancy into the systems and the money to be able to do that, as well as the money to get more resources and put more bums on seats so that they're not trying to do all of the things and juggling all of these balls and knowing that some of these balls are going to have to fall. And unfortunately, updating and patching is one of those balls that often gets dropped. If only it were so simple, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. And I know, and that's the thing. I think when we talk about basics and we talk about things like updating and patching, there are so many things that go into it. Like we talk about here are the individual issues, but it's not, oh, it could be this one or this one. It's all of them all at once. And I think my heart goes out to any systems administrator or security administrator who is in charge of doing any of the update management and patch management in their environment because it is a really hard job. And to keep on top of it all and to make sure that everything is as up-to-date as possible, it's not easy. Like, yes, it is basic, it is fundamental, but it isn't easy. I wish them the best, you know, like, that's all I can say is like, yeah, I think every time I talk to anyone deep in this, every time, I, you know, the two times I've spoken to you, all I keep hearing is that people are overworked. <laughs> like, that's it. And I just, uh, you know, I'm tired of hearing it. I don't know how else to put it. I'm just like, come on. And it is true. Like when it comes to just looking at the number of administrators that are out there that are burning out because they have so much that they have to do and they don't have the resources they need. And I think that's the frustrating part that I come into. Like you can throw whatever systems you like at it, but unless you've got the people to look after those systems and configure those systems and maintain those systems, you're not going to get anything out of them. And I think that's the big issue. We're not throwing enough people at some of these problems. We assume that the technology is going to do it all for us. And that is just not the case. The people are just as important. Jess, I wanted to thank you so much for coming back on our show. Thank you very much for having me. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we learn about why one of the most common practices in employee phishing training has actually led to worse outcomes. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. <laughs>